You're an all-star, get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star, get the show on, get paid. Welcome to another episode of the NRL All-Stars Podcast. This is Barnsley, back for the weekly NRL Talk and Footy episode. And with me this week, we've got Perso. Perso, welcome back on board, mate. Been a couple of weeks. You've been down in sunny Melbourne holidaying, but you still got to see some of the footy and stuff, which is good. How you been? Yeah, good, mate. It uh, was a good little trip down to Melbourne, but uh, came back and got covered <laughs> when I came back. So, thanks, Melbourne. No good, mate. Well, I mean, you did get to go. You didn't miss anything with your Tigers. They got flogged by yeah, the Sharks anyway. Yeah. So, I, I was actually happy we kept the Sharks below 40, to be honest. Pretty close. Um, so everyone that's listening for the first time, this is a weekly talk and footy episode. So certainly no super coach. We'll just go through all the big things in rugby league from the fans' perspective with no media bias or rubbish and Certainly, if you like the Supercoach episodes, we record those every Tuesday for TLT Supercoach, and we'll have another one drop on Wednesday for that next week. But for this episode, um, starts on a bit of a sombre note. Uh, obviously, the big news in the past week has been uh, Paul Green's passing, which was pretty tragic. Uh, when I started recording last week's podcast with Luke Garrity, it was on a Thursday afternoon, and we just saw the news 10 minutes beforehand. So, look, there's... No easy way around these type of conversations per se. It's, uh, it's, it is tragic because at the time when we uh, all saw the death and certainly I chatted to a, a few of the guys, including you and, and definitely Luke, before we started recording about it, it was just the shock that someone had passed away at 49 years of age. You grew up watching play footy, watching coach footy afterwards and just being such a, a massive part of the game for a lot of fans' entire lifetimes. And you see someone like that pass away suddenly at 49 it's a big deal, but then you see that they've actually passed away um, due to a suicide. It's it really hits home, uh, and it's, it was a it was a really really sad day. It's a really sad week, and I think it's going to be a really sad year. It was good that the NRL did a lot of things for it last week. Um, hopefully, there's still more support for for Green's family, and also what we do around the game in regards to this as well. But just terrible news to start off this past week of footy. Oh, for sure, Barnsley. It's a uh, yeah, absolute tragedy. You put uh, when you saw him that he passed away, and it's forty nine. You you sort of hope um, that it wasn't that that sort of took him. But, I mean, I uh, Warnie went away this year, and it's fifty, and it was like a heart attack, and you know Warnie lived a pretty fair life, and you're sort of thinking, this is just down the same <laughs> same route. But then when you find out it is um, the suicide, it, it, yeah, it's just tragic. It's just, uh, it's a massive problem in this country. Well, I think we're getting a lot better in these days, but um, still not good enough. Like 8.6 people die a day from suicide and 75% of those are men. That's the old should be right attitude type thing that just doesn't work. It doesn't discriminate depression, that's for sure. You get your people... Don't, and you never know what goes on behind closed doors. So you look at a guy like Paul Green, you know, it's just, yeah, it's absolutely tragic. Yeah, and, like, they're, they're scary statistics, but the other statistics that aren't even shown in that is there's a, a hell of a lot of people that suffer suffer from mental health as well. And, you know, a lot of that leads, some of that does lead to, obviously, people ending their own lives, but a lot of it doesn't, and it's just debilitating throughout their lives or causes other problems, Certainly, there's you know uh, 100%. some players that go on afterwards that you you don't really hear about that end up having really sad lives just because of mental health issues or struggles after the game of rugby league that has been there for them the whole time. And then all of a sudden is gone. You know, it's the numbers are, are startling, um, but they're they're even worse than that if you actually look at the people who don't end it like that, but actually struggle a lot and need a helping hand. Um, when we're talking about things like this, you know, one of the things that's come up is you know, should there be a mental health round? You know, what else can we do? And certainly the Players Association, along with several prominent voices, have called for the NRL to to do a lot more. Uh, and I, like, I think that a lot of people don't understand where some of that comes from. But, you know, these are these are guys that really have, when, you, when you're an NRL player, you know, you might come into a junior system as a 14-year-old, 
and the amount of support that you get is pretty remarkable. Like for a teenager that, you know, 90% of them don't even make it in first grade. The support that you get through the junior systems and everything is crazy. And, you know, I think Matty Johns was talking about it. I could be wrong. Might have been one of the other ex-players, but they were talking about how, you know, Paul Green, for the best part of, of 40 years almost, has had support and then, he, and then, you know, it changes quite drastically. And, you know, sort of uh, some people probably did the maths on that when I was, you know, 10 years old or whatever. Probably not 10, but, you know, certainly from um, when he was a his early teenager, he had that support um, and you get so much as a junior coming through. And then obviously when you get to NRL level, honestly, these guys get given so much and it's it's not really about how much they're given, but just the support structure they get, it, it's all a positive. It's not about them getting too much, you know, that, but what it means is that when all that gets taken away very quickly and that happens when you retire, you know, you see a lot of ex players talk about how lost they are and uh, they don't, a lot of them don't say, you know, they really want to play and they're just so sad that they want to play. A lot of them actually say, you know, they were ready to stop playing. They just don't know what to do now. And just the simple things like going to training and seeing seeing their mates that they don't see as much anymore because you hang out with them at training or just after training and stuff and you're not doing that. Someone like Paul Green went through all that, managed to come out the other side of playing and get a coaching job straight away. And he then went in and, and he had all that again. You know, he never really lost it. And then... Lo and behold, you know, he's out of coaching and, you know, that was, it was a pretty big fall, you know, and people say oh, it might only be 18 months sort of out of the game or whatever it was, but that's a lifetime for someone who's had that, that type of support and, and life the whole time. And then all of a sudden it's, it, it's sort of gone and evaporates and you've got to figure out what to do with yourself. And it's almost an identity crisis for some players that they talk about. Oh, it is. You see it with all, not just NRL players, but with, uh, solo sports like swimming, they get there's, there's a lot of it that goes through that because they just dedicate their lives since they're like 13, 14 year old kids, and it's a solo sport and they, it all ends like that. But the thing with the mental health side of it is you don't know, like it, it's a lot of that comes from your childhood. You don't know what happened in their life that, that, that gets to that point that they've suppressed over the years, and it, it's just a thing with mental health, like it, it, it's um. <laughs> having been through it myself and having gone through it and you go into uh, rehab and find out what's been controlling you and all that sort of stuff, it comes from your childhood. You, you don't know. So you don't know with those things. It's just tragic that people can't talk, and that's the thing. Until you get right into those dark places, um, you, you really can't sort of describe how bad it is. Uh, to get to that point where he's at, like, you, you see... From the outside looking in, he's had a great life living through all that. He's got a childhood sweetheart. He grew up with his wife. His, his kid just had a ninth birthday. His fifth is coming up. And he was still in such a dark place that he just couldn't live with himself anymore. And that's the tragic point. Like, he he's in an area where he's got so many avenues to talk, but he still couldn't. And it was still so – he was still just – he was done, you know. that That's the tragic part of it. Yeah, it really is. And and I don't want anyone to think that I'm assuming that, you know, when I'm talking about uh, not playing anymore and not coaching anymore, that, you know, that's specifically Paul Green. You know, it's just something that a lot of the players talk about um, struggling with afterwards. And there's a lot of players that have opened up having mental health issues afterwards that obviously are still around now and going well. Um, but it's because they've had to find something in their lives, find the support, talk about it and find help and things. But, you know, the going back to what the NRL can do more, I think the NRL does do quite a bit that we don't see. So I don't, I'm not going to be um, talking about their lack of in mental health for supporting players and coaches and things, but it is something where I think only the last five years they've gotten better at uh, recognizing that once someone's out of the game, that they keep supporting them, you know, and we do see things like when players are sacked or uh, when they, you know, end up um, getting cut from a club and, they've got to wait until the next year for another contract and these type of things that the clubs actually do support them these days and the NRL does support them. And that's gotten a lot better. Uh, I think that's the way to go in exploring, expanding that and making sure that that happens too, because, you know, certainly per se, there's, there's guys that stuff up big time and they, and they just get thrown out in the cold. Um, And it's very easy as, as rugby league fans. And I do it as well um, to talk at it from a rugby league perspective and say, you know, this, this guy's 26, he's had 15 chances, like good luck to him. He shouldn't be in our game. We don't want to see him in it. And whilst that might be the case as a game, 
you, you can't just throw them out in the cold as a person. You know, certainly as a player, throw them off the field and don't let them play again. But that's a, that's a 26-year-old that by and large by life standards hasn't done that much wrong in life. They've just done things wrong, you know, to be a professional sports person. Um, and I think that's something that we probably forget a lot as fans, but certainly the game forgets it as well sometimes. Oh, I think society just forgets it <laughs> a lot. I think um, when Greg Inglis came out and said he had um, he was depressed and stuff, I, there was a bit of backlash from people, but there was a lot of respect as well. And I thought that was a that was probably a turning point. Um, Jackson Hastings is another one you look at. He he had a lot of um, animosity when he was coming through because he was an arrogant little prick basically coming through. Mm. But um, there was no one knew at the time that. He look. Everyone saw him as um, Horry Hastings, young bloke. He never had a thing to do with his old man, and no one knew that. And he'd coming through. It wasn't until he worked, dealt with his mental health stuff and came out and said all that stuff that he changed. And he's a complete advocate of the other side now, with mental health and all that sort of stuff. From you just never know what people are going through. That's the thing. It's this is the tragic thing about um, depression, and it, it doesn't. You look at the <laughs> Robin Williams. The funniest black in the world that would make everyone laugh, and behind closed doors, he was struggling. You, you just, you never know. No, you don't. You don't at all. Um, it, it, one of the, you know, if anything positive is going to come out of this, uh, and it really, there's not much positive to come out of um, a tragedy like this. But if there's going to be something, a glimmer, then it needs to be that the NRL does a little bit more um, and works a little bit harder. And I think they will. Um, but I, I really am a supporter of there being a mental health round. And I'm, you know, I don't, I don't want to, you know, benchmark it against other rounds and, and come off that I'm being negative about it. Like we need an Indigenous round. It's very important. We need a women in league round. It's very important. We need all these other rounds. Um, and we need a mental health round just as important as those two, I, I believe, Manzi. Yep, we do. Um, and that's the thing. If we're going to have all these other rounds for these important issues, you know, we have to have something for this. And it's. I'm not going to put this on the NRL, even though it might sound like it, but it's high time that organisations stopped going for whatever the popular um, social justice bandwagon is to jump on or whatever's you know they think is going to get them more people and and look more towards what needs the most help because certainly I think mental health hasn't been the sexy thing to talk about or to you know dedicate a round of sport to or for sports organizations to some sometimes get on top as, as much as other things that are important like racism or or sexism or all these other political uh things that are very important issues in the world but you know, these things are, are there every day and talked about and something like mental health is, isn't. And not necessarily NRL, but it almost seems like a lot of organisations go for those sort of things because they're in the media, because they're in the public eye and because they're going to get interest and attention, whereas something like mental health isn't. But it is actually something that almost, that definitely needs at least as much attention shown on it and would benefit immensely from something like this. So uh, I just hope that the NRL uh, does go towards it and after something like this, I think it's a hopefully something that's um, going to put put it in their minds that they need to plan it for next year. But I'll, I'll probably finish to per se on, on my pitch for having a mental health round by saying, you know, there's a lot of women that are in our game that need you know need to be recognised and things and and all these other things. Um, but you know, by and large, rugby league from 1908 has always it's been a male dominated sport. sport, and this is a pandemic of males in Australia. 100%. And it's a male-dominated sport by tough males who have been brought up to, you know, the, <laughs> things are changing now, but, like, it was the should be right, mate. You, you don't show a sign of weakness, and that's where it's all come from, from Australian culture. And there's 3,129 people take their own life every year. 75% of them are males. It's it's just damning statistics, isn't it? And like it used to very much be a blue collar game too, where you know that type of um, stereotype of fan didn't talk a lot. You're right; it has changed a little bit, but it's still it's still there, uh, and it's still something where the we had a long way to go. Well, well, rugby league has probably got uh, the best megaphone to shout out at the the demographic 100%. of people that are going to potentially take their own lives, or at best suffer through mental health issues and not speak about it or get help. But they're, they're the ones, you know, much more than any other sport or organisation. It's rugby league. So I really hope that they do it because it's their core audience and their core fan base that supports them 
through more than a century of footy that is actually suffering at the moment through these type of things. But let's just finish on Paul Green's numbers, you know, just to talk about what a great career he had. He, Everyone knows that he coached the Cowboys to Premiership. He, he was a Maroons coach as well and before that an assistant coach as well. But before his coaching, you know, he still played 162 NRL games. Oh, and he, he was a, the Q Cup player of the year. I think it was in 1992, 93. Mm-hmm. Two years, two years later, when he was at Sharks, is a Rothman's medal winner, the Dalian winner. Yep. You yep. Come with Q, like he was an outstanding footballer himself in his own right. 1995, uh, Rothman's medal winner. Um, I always yeah. remember him at the Sharkies because he's you know, local up here as well, um, and he also played, including for Super League Queensland um, Origin jerseys, ten Origin jersey caps as well. But I also remember him going. Uh, certainly to the Cowboys, but after that he went to my Roosters per so, and he was really good at the Roosters, um, really competitive early 2000s Roosters sides. Um, he just, he had a hell of a career as a player, Paul Green, fantastic half. You know, I loved watching him play. Everywhere he went, he he did well. Even in, with the coaching role, assistant coach, everywhere he went, successful, I think. Mm. He was a really, like, he was a, he wasn't. A, he was. He was a fairly small player, but he just had a massive football brain. He, he was a good player. Yeah, kicking and passing, and and all the things, the traits that you really wanted in a halfback, he really possessed, and it's why he kept getting jobs and why teams chased him, uh, and why he was successful everywhere. Um, didn't have the the physical gifts or the size or all the other stuff, but his brains and um, attributes on the rugby league field as a halfback, genuine halfback, very very high standard. So Paul Green, great career. Had a good life. Um, it's unfortunate that we have to talk about it that way. But again, like I said, hopefully something changes and comes good of it, even just a glimmer. But if you are struggling with anything, Lifeline's always there. Um, Lifeline's great to give a call to at any point. Um, otherwise, you know, there's other people too. Anyone in your life, I'm sure, will love to listen to you as much as you think that they're not going to. So always talk to someone. Um, and certainly the Black Dog Institute is another great one for males too to reach out to. So there's a few avenues for support. But Perso, we need to move towards rugby league and looking at what's happening in the game now, as tragic as the Paul Green news was, we did have a round of footy last week. Much of it uh, dedicated to him by all the teams in the NRL, which was outstanding. But a few of the storylines that came out from it, uh, one of them that I thought was quite remarkable was the Friday night game. I, you know, thought that guys like Matt Burton on Friday night were going to put in a masterclass and absolutely obliterate the Warriors with how the Bulldogs' form had been. It had been much better, much more attacking, freestyling football. And they got done 42 to 18, and the Warriors just blew them off the park. And that was something that was really unexpected. Uh, And it was also something where, you know, maybe we're seeing the Mount Smart Warriors and and then getting their identity back was meaning a lot more to them than what we thought. But they played a lot better. The Bulldogs did play a lot worse. Um, The completion weight of both teams was at 84 and 83%, though. So it wasn't like... You know, they weren't completing sets. So it wasn't a high-quality game. It was just, you know, six-to-one line breaks <laughs> and the tackles. Um, you know, there, there wasn't even that many missed tackles considering. Like, the Bulldogs missed 31 and the Warriors missed 18. And generally, a poor game, you, you're going to get more than 50 tackles that are missed. Um, but it was it was just very surprising to me. Uh, and obviously, I didn't expect it. Both sides made the same amount of errors. Penalties were almost even. You know, the Warriors just really came to play and the Dogs didn't. Well, he summed it up straight away with the the, um, the completion rates. It wasn't like the dogs played terribly. And that score got away from it too. It was for a good part of the game, they were still in it. But I don't know. You, you, <laughs> you always thought the way the dogs were going to go, they were going to come home with it, but they ended up getting flogged in the end. But um, it is good to see the Warriors get a, a, a good win like that at home. Maybe that'll be more of things to come. Edward Cassie's just been absolutely killing it. <laughs> annoying but um, yeah I didn't see that one coming that's for sure I thought the dogs were specials to win that the way they've been playing but Warriors um, stuck to it and they just got better and better as the game went on I don't think Sean Johnson's run the ball once all year oh, the, t- the time that he ran it that try he, he threw a dummy <laughs> there was no way there was no way Avarillo was going to go anywhere but to the support player because uh, surely Sean Johnson's not going to run the ball Dummies it and just runs and scores a try. You know, that was probably, you know, a microcosm of the whole Warriors, uh, Warriors season turning right there because he hasn't done that all year. So, I mean, yeah. that was 
that was a big takeaway. Um, on the next game, South 26, Parramatta 0. Mm. I said the week before on a couple of the podcasts that this was a really good litmus test to see where both sides were at. I was really looking forward to the contest and I thought it was going to be a oh, contest. I think we've seen it. Yeah, we did see it. Um, Souths are still pretty red hot and Parramatta were just awful. Like it was unbelievable how much they didn't trouble South Sydney. And you're not even going to see that in statistics really. You know, and the again, the completion rate for the Eels was 76%. So that's not terrible, but they just weren't doing anything troubling when they were getting to the other side of the field. Almost like they got to a point where they just, you know, yeah, we've lost this game. Yeah, That's and they it. put the queue in the rack pretty quickly. I mean, it just they just didn't seem to be getting back down there anymore, and they just sort of. That's the that's the thing with the Eels. The, the Eels, oh, man. I know everyone keeps saying, "Oh, they still got, they beat Penrith twice and they beat Melbourne in Melbourne," but they just don't. They, oh, <laughs> it must be so frustrating being an Eels supporter because they can beat anyone in their day, but then they just don't turn up the next week. That's. I just can't put my finger on what's going on with them. And to a further point, I would rule out they got no chance of winning the comp this year. I cannot see them going into a into the final series and playing four games in a row. No, no. To win. That's the thing. I think that's a line through them right there. I agree with you. And I will say, like, I thought Lane stood up pretty well. He's been outstanding for them this year, Lane. He has been here. He has had a, a real career year, and it's been largely unnoticed by many. And he was the only Eels player that I think can hold his head up high, really. Uh, a lot of the forwards barely took a dozen hit-ups, and they just really packed it in. Well, their biggest forwards game is in those games. Like, I think Paolo, he went, ran for, what, 79 metres or something in that game? He, re- he had seven hit-ups in the game, seven. That's just a, a terrible from who's meant to be a representative front row laying a platform. And I will say, like, South Pack have been playing well. Like guys like um, Colin Matungi and Murray in particular have been on fire. Cook's been very good. Totola ran for 200 Totola's been playing good footy. Arrow's been playing better too. But by and large, I would say that, you know, if you're rating that South Pack, you would say they're good. You wouldn't say they're a great pack or a top four pack. Oh, if you look at the Eels pack, you wouldn't compare them. Aside from Murray, you'd reckon the Eels have got them covered across the board. Mm. Just so, it was disappointing for me, and I, I agree with you about um, Harrogate and pretty much ruled out by the performance of uh, being able to go to a grand final. Side that I think can go to a grand final, though, and it's going to sound like huge rooster bias here. Uh-huh. The Roosters, 32 to 18 at Sydney Cricket Ground. And I mean, they had a try scored in the 79th minute there. It was going to be a 20 point deficit. Um, and really, I. I didn't feel watching the game that the Roosters were in any trouble at all. And it was the same story as the week before where, you know, the the Cowboys and the Broncos, to a lesser extent, the Broncos have been seen as um, really smoky top eight, well, top four for the Cowboys and and top eight for the Broncos, teams that could go on a bit of a run because they've shown glimpses of performances. The Roosters have absolutely dismantled both those sides in back-to-back weeks now. And their forwards have just eaten up all the metres and just dominated. And then the backs on the back of that have looked a lot more slick than what they have uh, in past weeks. You know, we had Suali with another cracking game, scored the first try and just killed it. Sam Verrill started running the ball. Um, it was just, it was on for everyone. And it just, it's the, again, almost similar to Brisbane. You kind of see the Cowboys credentials falling off a little with that loss. And the Roost is just, again, starting to gain more and more momentum by the week. Uh, this semi-final series, Barnsley, how good is it going to be? It, for for the first time in like a three or four seasons, you haven't got seventh and eighth making up the numbers. Like it's a realistic opportunity that in this final series that Eels will be seventh, Roosters will be eighth. Mm. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't rule out the Roosters still being able to take out the comp from eighth. That's how good this this final series is going to be. The Chooks are just starting to to peak at the right time. The bunnies are the same. Well, and they're in the bottom part of the eight. So, yeah, it's it's going to be fantastic. But the uh, I think the bubble's probably burst with the Broncos. Definitely, I think. Uh, Cowboys, yeah, I'm not so sure if it's completely burst, but they've had a fantastic season. And both sides are massively overachieved from where they were last year. But let's be honest, the Cowboys are wooden speed favourites at the start of the year. <laughs> and they're, oh, they're still they're sitting second or third, so they've had an outstanding year. But 
I agree with it. I don't think they can take it with the top sides at the end. And I still class the Rabbitohs and the Roosters as the top sides, even though they haven't been right up to this year. They're peaking at the right time. And it's funny because you've got two out of those bottom four sides that I think if you ask people who the top four sides should be on form, you'd have two bottom four sides out of that eight. Everyone would name them, the Roosters and the Rabbits. I think everyone would say them along with probably the Sharks, maybe the Storm, and then definitely Penrith are up the top. Like it's, you know, those five teams I think still have pretty high credentials to be able to get to the grand final. Um, and I certainly think that everyone's just going to be joining Penrith in the grand final and see what happens. But it's getting real spicy. Um, but some of the other teams that are not so spicy, um, the Broncos came back to form with the 28-10 win over Newcastle, with Newcastle pretty much dead and buried. Um, but the other one that was a bit controversial, per so, you know, the non-Ricky Stewart game at GIO Stadium, the Raiders managed to edge out the Dragons and, and finish their season off 24-22. And it was uh, almost a bit of a reverse on the controversy last time where Ben Hunt didn't get penalised in the dying moments, whereas this time it was the Raiders holding down the Dragons at the end and they didn't get penalised. And they came out and said the NRL tyrannously that um, the, the infringement actually took place after the 80th minute anyway. So that's why they didn't do it. Now, unlike the first time, I actually thought this was a bit of a storm in the teacup. I, I didn't think there was heaps in it anyway. And I also didn't think that the um, Annesley conversation around it was was too unfair. You know, and, and factually, it's been proven to be correct. So I don't think anyone can complain about that. But there was still people complaining about it. I just sort of thought, well, you know, you could see the timepiece and you could see that the, the 80th minute had already gone. So it didn't really matter that I think it was wrapping it, held him down an extra two seconds because it was already done. The game was over. That was one of the only games I saw live because I was sitting there watching on my phone in the hotel room in Melbourne while the wife was getting ready to go out. <laughs> I was watching, <laughs> I was watching that, that happen. At the end, I was, it, but um, it it wasn't anywhere near. Like I thought, oh, how good is that? It's the same sort of thing. But I knew it was going to come, what was going to come of it. It was nowhere near the same as when Benny Hunt was lying all over the ruck and the, the, the reverse going. It was nowhere near the same. What I, as a Tiger supporter, I was sitting there watching, oh, are they going to uh, try and go the um, the captain's challenge after the game was gone, <laughs> after the Cowboys' result? That's what I was waiting to see. But, yeah, that was never going to happen. But I haven't got a problem with it. I, I thought it was the right decision in the end. There was, it, <laughs> it just was funny that it happened the way it happened, and it was the same teams against each other. And, yeah, either, it was nothing like when Ben Hunt laid all over the rock, to be honest. No, the footy gods have got a right sense of humour. They always do these type of things to us. Um, the last game of the round, how about in Manly going at the moment? 44-24 to loss to the Gold Coast Titans. And they've just about played the Titans in a form. I actually you know the, the worst thing about that, Barnes, is Tigers are on a wooden spoon now. Yeah. Because Manly's poor performance, I'm filthy with Manly. I actually think the Titans are going to go on a bit of a run now um, because they've got a pretty a pretty easy draw at the moment and they got a bit of confidence out of that game. Manly, I didn't think really gave much at all. Like the first half, well, not even the first half, first half an hour of footy was reasonably competitive. And then it was just all the Titans. Like they just destroyed Manly. And again, like I don't want to sound like a Daily Cherry Evans hater, but this is like the fourth week in a row where he's absolutely disappeared. Did absolutely nothing, Daily Cherry Evans. Oh, he was abysmal in that game. Through that intercept as well. Like even like when you're playing poorly as it is and you're not creating anything, it's one thing. But then when you start throwing intercepts like that leading to a 70 meter breakaway try, it's pretty damning. And he really hasn't stepped up. They've lost uh Ruben Garrick now for the season as well. Jake Trevojevic is out for the season. It looks like they might just start resting guys as well. So Manly's oh. season's just completely packed in and just... I, I didn't want to buy into that rainbow round saga ruining their season, but looking at the two or three weeks since, it's pretty hard not to draw a narrative to that. It's been bad. I think, look, I think that uh, like media outlets have jumped on that because it's a, it's a cooler story than what the reality maybe is. And I certainly think that other people have maybe jumped on it more than what they should have. I kind of disagree. Like if uh, uh, around, you know, what was it, around 20, around 21, 
pride jersey fiasco isn't going to derail a 25-round season and it'd be the cause of it, you know? To me, this, the sort of footy that they're playing now, they were always capable of, and I actually thought they were overperforming at times after Turbo went down. I think they sort of got a bit lucky. Um, but Turbo going down was a massive thing. I, I reckon that after oh, of course. after that happened, everyone would have said, well, you know, that's defined their season. Now it's the pride jersey. Well, no, it's still Turbo went down and that killed their season. But I actually think that they always had this type of form in them. And with the roster that they've constructed, it's very top heavy. And once you have a couple of those top guns go out, it's very difficult. And as much as I admire Daily Cherry Evans as a player, I've said it for a long time and I'll say it again, he's, He's not much of a big game player. When the pressure's on and the big games are coming and it's time to earn the bucks, he doesn't really perform his best very often. And and we're just seeing that once again. And that, look, that's not a massive slide on Daily Jerry Evans. It's just it's how it's run. And sometimes it happens to players. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he's had the chance to stand up in the last couple of weeks and it's just gone pear-shaped. They just, their season just capitulated like nothing else. Yeah, they, they hung on so well when Turbo was out. Until that um, the rainbow round, and then the, I don't know. Since then, I don't know what's going on at Manly, but they just they're they're cool. It's going to be really really interesting last few weeks because you know I like Des as a coach, but he really has to find something in these guys because um, he's got a lot of young guys there too. And if you have that sort of season where it just finishes on such a low, you know some of the fans will start to turn on you as well, and the performances of some of those young guys. Um, might actually start to waver and that's not what you want and you want a good off season as well so it'll be really interesting look let's move along before we do i need to mention the fantastic sponsor of the all-stars podcast in top sport topsport.com.au you can go and jump on there and have a look they've often got best odds in market and they are 100 percent australian owned which i love you get fantastic service from them and it's not just about sport with them either they've got great service and great odds in their racing as well and look Player performance markets, I've spoken about it before. It's a lot of fun. You can bet the over and under on the point scoring. Uh, it's a fantasy point scoring system. You can really easily see that underneath. They've got a key that tells you what the scoring is, and it is based on the NRL statistics. So if you go to nrl.com, uh, you can have a look at the statistics and see what it's based on and, and, and go from there. But it's based on the real game statistics the NRL provides. So player performance markets are great on top sport. But if you're going to jump on there, make sure you gamble responsibly. But make sure when you create an account that you use the promo code of this podcast, and that is SC All Stars, all one word. When you create an account, it'll ask if you've got a promo code, make sure you throw that in because when you do and you create that account, they'll know you're one of our listeners and they'll take great care of you. But topsport.com.au, go get on and have a look today. Um, the other big news was the Bulldogs get their man in uh, Cameron Serraldo. He is now signed a five-year deal to go to the Bulldogs. Um, I'm sort of a mixed bag for me, per se. So I'm interested on what your assessment is on this. But my one is that uh, I think I'm I'm a bit old school in that I don't like giving uh, jobs to unproven coaches for long deals. <laughs> Because what history has shown us is that unproven coaches are unproven. You don't know what they're going to be at the NRL level. And really, as players too, like you, you've got some of the best players of all time as prospects that have absolutely come through to NRL and just ended up being nothing um, or just not even gotten there. You know, you just you don't know how someone's career is going to unfold until they actually have the runs on the board. And Serraldo doesn't have that. Maybe he'll get them. But five years is a long time to be hooked into a coach, and especially when you consider how long coaches are around these days. They don't stick around too long before they end up getting punted, and these are experienced coaches. You know, He's coming into a role at the Bulldogs where the dogs can't afford any more failure. So to me, that sort of said, well, I would be going for an experienced coach or someone that's been around, you know, been around a bit, um, and that might help. Uh, if I was going for someone like Seraldo and I was really, you know, sold on him, oh, I would have been trying to get a three-year deal. But I guess the other side of it, per so, is they had to get him away from Penrith. You know, they identified him as the guy and maybe you could definitely argue and I could see the point of if we didn't give him five years, he wouldn't have come over. So we had to do that just like someone like the Titans has to overpay to get a star. The Bulldogs had to overpay with the situation they're in to get the coach that they needed. Yeah, you've hit the nail on the head there, Barnsley. I think um, he's the highest-paid assistant coach in the NRL, so he's not leaving the – and he's with the yeah, Panthers, premier-winning side that could go on a bit of a dynasty. He's not leaving there unless he um, gets a decent contract. Interesting that he's chosen the Bulldogs, 
five that I agree, five years, like it's amazing. Could you imagine the clauses in that contract on both sides? I don't even want to start to imagine it. <laughs> so, yeah, but I think it's it'll be interesting to see um, how he goes. To be honest, it's a it's a great unknown. It's like people try and compare uh, how many um, assistant coaches have you seen in recent years that have come out and tried and they failed. But people try and compare Fitzgibbon, but Fitzgibbon bought his time for a long, long time and then took the role that suited him, and he's done pretty well at Sharks and he'll be a career coach. So maybe Serrato will go into that mould as well. He's, he's had that touted for a while, but it remains to be seen. It's a big gamble from the dogs, big gamble. Oh, it's a massive gamble. Um, they're going to need it to come off for them. And it is, I, I still, like one of the things that I thought was just it's, uh, silly is uh, you actually saw the Bulldogs come out and say, oh, look, we want him to be the coach forever. You know, he'll be here for 10 to 15 years. I don't know why these teams put so much unneeded pressure on themselves. There's no coach in the NRL that's been in their current club for 10 years, let alone 15. Like, he's not the type of role that you end up staying anywhere long-term. In the the history of the game, there's probably two. Bellamy at the the Storm now and uh, Bennett when he was at the Broncos originally. That'd be it. (laughs) Who else stays for that amount of period of time? Yeah, just clubs just don't make it easy for themselves sometimes. You know, there's no reason to say that. Um, Look, I, I hope it works out. I hope it works out for Bulldogs fans as well. Um, I, I rate Seraldo. I, I do need to reserve until I get to see him actually coach. So, and, uh, and the dogs aren't ready made to just succeed either. Let's move along. Ponga. I'll tell you what, there's a lot to talk about with this one. So, obviously, the big news was Ponga and Man in the toilet cubicle the last week. Um, it's it's been a pretty big pile on on the Ponga, uh, and I think that it's for pretty good reason. You know, and I have to say, like, I don't think that the um, the reaction would be as much as what it has been from the fan base. If he just hasn't been so disappointing, like Ponga obviously hasn't had a good season for Newcastle. The only times he really seems to play well is when he doesn't have a Newcastle jersey on. He's the captain of the club, uh, and obviously everyone's run to, well, you know they were doing drugs, and you know, that's a big deal if they were. But yeah, you know, there's a chance that they weren't. And if you say, you know, they didn't do it, then, you know, I'm sure that some people would say, well, what's the problem with it? It's a massive problem. If you're, if you you know, in the rehab group, out for the season, Newcastle's committed all that money to you. You haven't really given back anything to the fans yet at this point on your contracts you've been given and the opportunity. And you're the leader of the club and you're out getting pissed when you're meant to be rehabilitating and you've had concussion issues. Like it's, it's just not a good look, is it? Even if there was no drugs involved, it's not the leadership. For me, that's the biggest issue. I couldn't care if he was in there crossing swords, giving me a kiss, uh, having a DNM with him about his mental health, whatever else. He's the captain of the club. I don't care if the Knights gave him the day off to go and buy his house that he bought. You're the captain of the club. For me, he should have been up there at the game, on the sideline, in the sheds, he's the captain of the club. He should have been at the game. For me, that's the biggest thing about all this. Uh, it just, uh, oh. Well, you're setting the standard <laughs> as well, aren't you? Like, there, there's some young exactly. guys on that team, and there's also some not-so-young guys who haven't really put in the sort of effort and performances and attitudes that you would expect or want from a winning football team in the NRL. And how are they going to do that if the person that they're following is Kalen Ponga? Oh, it's a massive. I think the Knights stuffed issue. up massively making him captain. I don't think they've stuffed up by signing him on the on the uh, contract they've done. But he this, he's just not captain material, uh, especially at this age of his career. He might be at some point, but I don't. Know, it, I don't know what's going on at the Knights. There's so much stuff coming out at the moment. They just don't seem like a connected group. And if anything, you want your captain to be connecting, then, you know, he's down buying houses, going, getting on the piss with Kurt Mann, both on injured list, while the boys are going up and getting towed up. Uh, so it's not a good look. Is this the type of thing, do you think, where the Knights should be looking at it and reassessing whether they want to build their club around Ponga? And, I, look, I don't mean to 
go on him too hard for this one thing. Although if it comes out, he's done drugs. And I think that you should, we should be coming down a bit harder on him again, but um, you know, it's obviously a lot of things and it's just not coming through. And at the moment, you know, you could make a call to Wayne Bennett or something and try and get a player swap or, or try and rebuild, try and get the money off your books and, and go again and try and get another star there or try and regroup. The thing is that they're rebuilding with him at the moment. Anyway, they're a bottom feeder team still. They're still on a multi-year rebuild. It's not going to set them back anymore by not having him probably because he's not really contributing to wins anyway. So do you think that it's at a point where Newcastle need to question whether he was the right option and strategy to rebuild that club now? Oh, I think that what they charge is well, his marketability and everything else. And that's what that paper is paid. I, I think they need the question of giving him the captaincy. I, I always thought when they gave it to him, was just, you know, he's not a captain. He's still a kid for his own game. He's, he's not at that point yet. But, um, yeah, if this comes out, obviously, if it was drugs, that's a different different point. But for me, just even if the club gave him the day off, you want your club captain to say, no, I don't want the day off. I'm coming up there. I'm going to watch the boys. I'm going to be in the sheds. I'm going to be there. I'm the captain. You know what I mean? That's, you, <laughs> the Tigers are struggling. And Jackson Hastings is doing the captain. The other way, he paid for his own flight up to Brisbane, his own accommodation to go out there and watch the Tigers get beaten up there. Yeah, that's the sort of attitude you want to see. If you got a, a club captain, you, you don't want to go, oh, we have to, yeah, no worries. I'll just go and fluff around, get caught in the toilet with a, another bloke that's on the injury list. Like it, <laughs> The attitude's just not there. There's there's something massively amiss at the Knights at the moment. And, and Newcastle is a type of fan base where, you know, they've watched so many committed players at the Knights bleed for that club and that jersey. And you know, it, it was, you know, working off the back of a blue collar area and everything when they came in and you had all those greats of Newcastle that were real hard that just loved the jersey. So many one club players at Newcastle as well. Yeah, you know, I don't I don't see that from Ponga. Like I don't see him loving the jersey, loving the club like you do with other players. And, you know, maybe that's just because he's young. Uh, maybe that's, you know, what what is the case with a lot of young players these days and they'll grow into it and then grow into the roles. But what it has done as well, Perso, is it has opened the door for a lot of conversation around the NRL drug testing. And that is the next topic of debate for us. Um, I, I'll, I'll explain it first. With the NRL drug testing, they're, suppo- they're supposedly not allowed to target drug testing. Okay, so that's the first thing. The, the RLPA has come out and Clint Newton has thrown his lollies out and he's annoyed that these guys are getting tested. We're going to get to that in a minute. But by and large, it's meant to be random testing that occurs. And under that random testing, there's performance-enhancing drugs and you're going to get done straight away if they're performance-enhancing. And that's where you see guys done for a couple of years. And then, you know, you might get some um, some testing that reveals uh, recreational drugs. And for those, uh, nobody finds out on the first offence. It's all about uh, finding the player, but also educating them, putting through some counselling and different things to prevent them from doing it anymore and educating them. And the second thing is an automatic 12-week suspension. Now, when this sort of came in, you know, and, it, and people might remember from the Ben Barber incident, you know, when Ben Barber was finished, he he got 12 weeks and he got 12 weeks and tried to go to England and play and stuff. And there was a big controversy about that. But he got 12 weeks because it was the second time. And it was actually the second time that season that he got caught with cocaine. That wasn't the first. And that's why he got an automatic 12 weeks. But the, the drug testing policy has evolved. It hasn't always been the same. I was, you know, I was really against how it is now. You know, to me, I don't understand how the NRL has all these hardline stances on social issues and things and whatever, which, you know, not saying that they shouldn't, but all these social issues and things they've got this hard these hardline stances on and stuff and then they will they will put someone out of the game for two weeks for an accidental high tackle that slips off a ball but you can do cocaine in the toilet cubicle the night before or even the morning of a game and they'll find out about it and you, you're not no one even knows about it and you're not even suspended like I've always found that it's always not sat right with me how the drug testing policy is managed at the moment that's terrible. But, and that's the biggest problem with it. it, it you can't, it, it's behind closed doors. It shouldn't be. If they've got a, a um, if they've got a reason to be testing players, it should be, it, it, don't, and that's the thing that's going on now with the integrity unit and what uh, Clint Newton's blowing up about it. Oh, it's, it's, it shouldn't be released. It should be behind closed doors and all the rest of it. They put themselves in that position. They got, 
filmed walking out of a toilet cubicle. Yeah, it, it's just it, it, I I'm trying not to blow up at Clinton Newton and trying to keep it a little bit more neutral. Mm. But I tell you what, I'm going to give him a massive serve. I can't believe that that's what he's come out oh, with. It's ridiculous. Like Clint Newton, as much as anybody in the game is a leader within the game. He's the head of the organisation that is uh, representing the players. And if you're representing the players and you're talking about, oh, it should be private, nobody should know about this, how dare you drug test players like this and all this stuff, at the end of the day, if they're, if they're innocent and they haven't done it, then they've got nothing to worry about. But what, So what you're essentially whinging about, Clint, is that the guys that get tested positive and get caught out, that people know about it. Mate, they're NRL players. They shouldn't be doing it at all. It doesn't matter to me how you find out the players are um, doing illegal drugs. If they're doing illegal drugs and you find out about it, you know, or you should be finding out about it, then they need to be punished and it needs to stop. And I think that the NRL has tiptoed around this line of thinking for far too long, per se, where it has said to itself, we're against drugs and and they say that publicly, Mm. but behind closed doors, they don't have a policy that does that because they're too scared. And certainly in the general public, there's a lot of people that see it and you get the comments. Oh. That, well, if the NRL goes after people, then, the, you know, everyone's going to get caught. There's heaps of people doing drugs, probably. But you know what? You're either against drugs in the game or, or you support it. There's no of this in between rubbish, you know, because you've got to stand for something, you know. I'm not going to sit here and be moral high ground and tell people, off if they think the players should be able to do drugs or if the, or people think they shouldn't. I'm just saying that you've got to be one or the other, right? And to me, the NRL has sat on the fence the whole time. They've taken the option that's safe to say that we're going to do something about it, but they know what they're doing isn't actually going to catch people that are doing it. And that, to me, is really hypocritical, and I think it lets the game down. 100%. That's it. The stance is there. It shouldn't be there, and that's, that's their stance. So if you're going to try and find it, like... You know, surely things like targeted testing make sense. Like, and I also will bring up the Brandon Smith and the Munster stuff from the last preseason too. Like one of the things under the Rugby League Players Association agreement is that you can't um, drug test players in the off season. Now, those guys are training. Like you can only test players when they're playing. Those guys are training to go into a new season. You know, like NRL players don't get off as much time off as what people think. You know, their off season training is long. And they're professional athletes in the NRL. Like, whether you agree with drugs in society or not, you know, they're there. But there are certain jobs, you know, if you're a miner, you're going to get tested all the time. And if you do any drugs in some of the mining industry, you're gone and you don't have a job anymore. There's plenty of jobs like that in the medical industry as well. If you get done with drugs in your system while you're working, you're gone. There is no off-season. And if you get done in the off-season for the NRL while you're actually working for the club, I don't even understand that argument. And that just looked silly to me last year when Munster and Brandon Smith came out and said, we don't even know what that substance is. You know, we're too drunk. We don't know what it is. Every man and their dog and their wife and every carrot that supported the NRL knows that they were snorting cocaine. They saw the video, but they can get off by saying, oh, we don't know what it was. And it's the off season, so you can't test us. Like, it just doesn't make any common sense, really. Well, there's no, there's no argument there. They're, at the end of the day, they're contracted to the NRL, and the NRL set their standard of what the rules are to be contracted to earn this money that you earn. It, uh, I can't. There, yeah, it, it's ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. And at the end of the day, as well, you know, these are athletes, and it's going to make a difference to their performance. And it doesn't look good. It's not a good message to send to kids. I know a lot of people will say it's something. Oh, look at Monster this year. Monster's been off. Everything and he's been killing it. You know, post a child for why. You know, you you shouldn't be doing drugs and stuff when you're playing NRL. But aside from the performance stuff and aside from even the the message it sends to kids and stuff, you know, I know that there's a lot of people that will say, oh, well, you know, a lot of people do drugs and, you know, it's a social thing. It's in society. They're they're part of society. Okay. But, like, you know, without disagreeing or agreeing with anyone on whether you should do drugs or not, you know, it's – by fact, it's illegal. You know, if you're in the NRL, you can't be doing anything illegal, and, and that should be the end of it. Well, it's in, and your, it's contract. in your contract. <laughs> Look, it's, there's no grey area here, <laughs> and the amount of education they get coming through, uh, what to do and what not to do, I, I just don't see the grey area. It's the same as the other behavioural stuff to me. You get paid a lot of money to be an NRL player, and the small downside is that you can't do some of the social norms that are acceptable for other people. And I think it's a small price to pay. I really do, you know. 
you think so when you're getting paid 800 grand a year to play the game that you love. So I'm I'm of the opinion per se that the NRL drug testing policy needs an overall overhaul and the NRL needs to show some balls and come over the top of the Rugby League Players Association and actually show some backbone on this because they're either against it or they or they don't care about it. And I think they've got to show one of the two. So I would absolutely overhaul the whole drug testing policy. I don't like that you don't get suspended. Where are you on the whole education, no suspension, no one knows about it, first defence stuff? I don't like it. I think it should be, uh, whether we like it or not, NRL players are um, role models. The NRL is an institution for role models for a number of kids. just should be stamped out. Whether it, like everyone in their life does certain things, if you fuck up, you fuck up. So if you, I just, I don't agree at all with the policy. It should be tested, public. That's it. Yep. Uh, well, hopefully the NRL will make some changes from this because they look like they're starting to try to behind closed doors, and I think that's a positive because targeting. Uh, drug testing makes sense and because as well like i think it helps players that are innocent like if ponga and man didn't do it oh i think that everyone's going to be far less critical of them if it comes out that they were negative and they haven't done it so everyone should be for it really except for people that are actually doing drugs in the nrl in which case you really shouldn't be in there anyway and then the other talking is if they have then why should you know i don't agree with NRL players being role models, but they are. That's the way society is. So, and if your role models are doing cocaine in toilets, <laughs> that's not what you want to be teaching your kids, is it? No, not at all. But look, let's move on to a couple of positive things quickly. Um, the famous Shuey New Zealand Warriors fan, did a Shuey got barred from the stadium. The fun police came out in full. He has been let back in. They've, they've rescinded it. They've said it's fine. It's a positive story, per se, because it's a lot of fun, you know, and it's, you know, I'm glad that they came to their senses and let him back in. It does open the little negative door, though, that, you know, the fun police really are out these days, you know. And you, How much does he look like Aaron Woods? Oh, it? did you see Aaron Woods came out <laughs> on social media and said, next time I'm in town, I'm going to I'm gonna shout you a steak dinner in a couple of years? That was great. <laughs> He's a dead set table ganger. I reckon Aaron Woods are probably about four inches on the height, though. Aaron Woods is a big man. He's about six foot six, I think. He's I've seen him before in in like pubs and clubs and stuff when he was coming through, and he's he's huge. So, but yeah, Shuey, New Zealand Warrior fan, glad that he got back in. I have to say, I've always been a bit critical of the um, the fun police in the NRL stadiums, per se, and that was it again. It was it's such overkill, wasn't it? The bloke does a Shuey in his own shoe. He didn't wet anyone else's shoe with beer. What's the what's the harm? You know, who cares? It was probably mid-strength three percent beer anyway. <laughs> exactly. I couldn't believe it when I uh, the next day he's been banned. You can't go back in there. You're kidding, aren't you? It was probably <laughs> the poor bloke's only beer. When I go to the footy at like ANZ Stadium or something, I only have one because there's only one, you know, <laughs> mid-strength crappy single-choice beer that I can I can take. You know, it's, they make it pretty hard to drink too many of them. So well, let him drink it out of his shoe. Who cares? Um, NRLW launch uh, that's another positive we've got the NRLW launching uh, we've got more teams more than ever um, we're going to be moving towards a 10 team competition very shortly the Roosters are actually going to open the new stadium with the NRLW team first how good how good is it how good is it how good is it that the girls get to play at the new stadium first I reckon that's unreal yeah, it is. And I do think that there is um, a bit more buzz than normal. Like, I know some people have been critical. Oh, I didn't know the NRLW was even launching this week. Sure, the, the NRLW could have a bit more marketing around it and support. But I will say, whilst it still can improve a lot, I, I do think it's been better coming into this season than what it has been in the past ones. Oh, 100%. There's more of a buzz around it. There's again more uh, commercial topic about it, which is good. And then, yeah, the... Well, that's not going to be the first round, obviously, when um, it ran the last round of the men's at the stadium. But I think that's, although that's amazing that um, the girls are going to get the first game at that new stadium. Oh, that was awesome. Yeah, that's a real highlight of it. Um, so it's it's going to be um, interesting with the uh, all the extra players that are involved as well, because with more teams, obviously, means more players. But each year we've had more women playing rugby league uh, than ever. So it's just been growing exponentially. So 
Um, we might have some teaming issues, I think, certainly with some of the um, expansion teams that are coming in now, but it feels like much more of a proper competition. And I think that you'd give away a little bit of quality and learning curve for some of the girls to to get more teams involved initially and to grow it a little bit. So I'm really excited. The Roosters Dragons playing that match. You know, that's a really good matchup too. The Dragons are a strong team. Jamie Soward coached. Um, and, you know, my Roosters girls, they, they're looking pretty good as well. So I reckon that's a bit of a blockbuster. So we'll talk more a bit, bit about the NRLW once it actually launches, but it's just good to see that it's coming this weekend. Legend Rewind Perso, it's a bit of a throwback one for you. So I have been uh, aware of the fact that there is more to rugby league than just the NRL greats. You know, there's other players from around the world. So I am going to put in an effort to make sure that we spotlight some of those legends as well. And for this one, we've got an Englishman that came over to the NRL, but only briefly, unfortunately. Ellery Hanley played for your Tigers, Perso. And he had a really stellar career overall. Probably didn't get to see as much of him um, in Australia in his prime as what we would have liked to, uh, but did play for Balmain in the Western Suburbs. Uh, but he had 36 caps for Great Britain, was a captain for six years. Um, and that was a, a big deal. Um, Mr. Magic and the Black Pearl, his nicknames. Record Man of Steel three times. Golden Boot as well in 1988. Um, when he was over here, he was playing in the outside backs, had a huge amount of speed, evasiveness, scored a lot of tries. Um, certainly for the Tigers, when you're having a look at... That 88 season, he came out, I think it was probably four rounds before the end of the season. Mm-hmm. He scored a try every round. Yeah, he, he did. He did. The preliminary final against the Sharks, he won 8-2, and it was his try that got there. And he was identified, obviously, in the grand, the famous grand final against the Dogs, that he, and he got KO'd, and that was it. Uh, it was a shame that we didn't see more of him. After the Western Suburbs um, stint um, in 89, he did come back. He went over to England again, and he came back to the Tigers for the uh, 96 He played season. front row. Yeah, well, he was like 37 years old then. Yeah, he was. Oh, I forgot about that. You just reminded me. I forgot all about that. Yeah, he came back out the last. I think he's about thirty-seven years old. But yeah, Jesus, good player. Yeah, it, it, can you believe in the eighty-four, eighty-five season over in England, he became the first man to score fifty tries in a single season. That's outstanding. Isn't fifty it? tries in a season, like. People, especially when you're not a, an explosive winger, he was a like a, a ball playing five eight center. Yeah, and I think over here he was more of a center, wasn't he? I don't think that we threw him in at five eight too much when he was playing for West or Balmain. Played a bit of five eight at West, but West was pretty ordinary at that time. He played center for the Tigers. Mm, well, yeah, it's kind of it was sort of exciting though when he did come over because obviously he was a huge, huge man in the global game of rugby league that it was coming over as the English captain. But it was also, it also made it a bit of a a cult like figure in the in the history of Australian rugby league because he sort of came in and you just saw a glimpse for a short time and then he was gone again and it was like wow, geez, that was good. But it was only just such a short time. He didn't really leave. You wouldn't think that he would have been able to leave as much of an imprint on the game in Australia as what he did, but he was just that sort of fellow, wasn't he? And I, I really loved him. Um, I watched a lot of his old English games, and some of those were just outstanding. But um, yeah, as a Bow Main supporter, how did you feel about it? Because obviously he was only there for a short period of time. He was there for a year, like for the last. Was <laughs> a kid? It was about eight games. That was it. That's all he played, and then he came out for West. The next year, and the worst were rubbish. He didn't do much there. And then disappeared, and then, yeah, he came back out at the end of his career, right at the end of his career when he's like 37. You know, playing prop when Wayne Pierce was <laughs> Wayne Pierce was coaching the side, and Ellery Anley came back out. Yeah, that was good. But, yeah, that uh, he was electric, yeah, absolutely electric, and that led up to the 88 semis. He went on to coach as well. Um, a long coaching career too. So there's, um, he's had a fantastic career, Ellery Hanley. If, you know, I think there's a lot of current rugby league fans that wouldn't have even barely heard of him, especially the young fans. Go and look up Ellery Hanley because you need to, the, the Black, Black Pearl, Pearl, Mr. Magic, you need to appreciate some of the um, the older players and some of the older players globally. And he was one, you know, he is an all-time English great, isn't he? He just glided. He had a he had a glide about him and he could just offload and pass. Like 
yeah, he was a pretty special player. Uh, amazing skills and how he moved was um was really unique and up there with uh, not many players that could move that way and just glide across the field like Perso said. Great one to finish off on, Perso. Thanks for jumping on the Talking Footy podcast again this week. That was a really nice reminisce on uh, on old Ellery Hanley. That was a good one. Yeah. <laughs> I wish you had a one that come up that year. It would be good. <laughs> <laughs> we'll chat to you again on the podcast soon, mate. No worries. For all the listeners out there, you can follow us on Twitter, NRL underscore SC All Stars. Jump on and grab the podcast. You can stream, download it. Make sure you subscribe, though. You'll know straight away as soon as there's a new episode. SoundCloud, Spotify, iTunes, Audible, Amazon. We are everywhere. Definitely jump on the sponsor of the NRL All-Stars podcast in TopSport, topsport.com.au. Go there, create an account today, and use promo code SCALLSTARS, and I'll take great care of you. But in the meantime, enjoy the footy this round. It's about to kick off. Look forward to chatting Supercoach again next Tuesday night, releasing on Wednesday and another Talking Footy episode in one week's time. Enjoy the footy this weekend and especially the great launch of the NRLW. Hey now, you're an all-star. Get your game on, go play. Hey now, you're a rock star. Get the show on, get paid.